Ha! cried Tyrion. Are you then that Eustace and that Joe who rescued King Rillian from his long enchantment? Yes, that's us, said Joe. So he's King Rillian now, is he? Oh, of course he would be. I forgot. Nay, said Tyrion. I am the seventh in his descent. He has been dead over two hundred years. Joe made a face. Ugh, she said. That's the horrid part about coming back to Narnia. But Eustace went on. We, well, now you know who we are, sire. And it was like this that Professor Aunt Polly got all of us friends of Narnia together. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast. We're doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Kel. I'm Chase. And don't you just hate it, Chase, when all your friends that you remember are dead? It's been a hundred years. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Just a reminder that today we are talking about the seventh book of the series, uh, The Last Battle. Uh, but Chase, it's our hundredth episode, which is crazy. And so uh, we've said this a hundred times, a general spoiler warning for all of the Narnia series as a whole. And as well as adds up that we will go on to tangents into other stories. We're going to spoil every book in this series, including this one. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, in particular, we're going to talk about The Last Battle, Chapter 5 how help came to the king but boy oh boy there's a lot to chat about this one yeah uh, a lot a lot to chat about it's almost uh too much maybe we should uh skip this one and just move on cal you know i love heard to. Those space those space books that c.s lewis wrote are fun Let's yeah says the guy who loves the space books by c.s lewis but uh oh did no, i say I, that to who right so in this podcast, dear listeners, we're going to give you uh, some walking. We're going to give you some talking. We're going to give you a little bit of death and a little bit of foreshadowing for the end of the story. We're going to give you some racism, and we're going to give you a top five of our favorite moments of Narnia so far. Uh, to be clear, we're not going to be the racist ones, we hope. Uh, but That's what you think, Chase. There is some, some stuff that comes up in this chapter, as happens sometimes in these books written in the 1950s. So we'll take that as it comes. Uh, but yeah, to get there, I'll go ahead and give us a, uh, a chapter summary so you can know yeah, what happened. That seems, seems like a smart thing to do. Uh, I mean, if you want to call it smart, you can, but if we're going to do it either way. All right, so the king's waiting, because he was waiting at the end of last chapter in a classic C.S. Lewis cliffhanger, the king's waiting didn't last long. It was only a moment before two children were standing before him as if they appeared out of nowhere. It was the youngest boy and girl from the party in his dream. They cut him free and apologized for taking so long. In their world, the party where he had appeared to them was over a week ago, while it had been only moments before to Tyrion. He led them away from the stable on a path where they couldn't be tracked, Walking with these people from another world suddenly made all the stories more real to Tyrion. They got to a safe place, and the boy offered him some food, six sandwiches, which Tyrion ate quickly, realizing he was ravenously hungry. After this, they drank from a stream and kept hiking, and as they walked, Tyrion described all that had happened up to this point. And now they were heading to a tower in the Lantern Waste where they could find weapons and supplies, he then asked who they were, and they answered that they are Eustace Scrub and Jill Pole. 
and how they had been here ages before, although only a year ago in their time, and had saved Prince Rillian from an underground prison with Puddle Glum and all that stuff from the last book that you remember. Tyrion knew their story and said he was the seventh in Rillian's descent, and those events were over 200 years ago. Eustace said how the Professor Diggory and Aunt Polly had gotten all the friends over together, uh, all the friends of Narnia together, which amazed Tyrion that the Lord Diggory and Lady Polly from the creation of the world are still alive. They had a suspicion help was needed in Narnia, and then Tyrion's ghost appeared at dinner. Crazy. Uh, apparently, Edmund and Peter dressed up as workmen to break into Diggory's childhood home garden and dig up the magic rings from where that tree used to be, if you remember anything from our first book, uh, from the magician's nephew. And then they were going to hand them off to Eustace at the train station on his way to boarding school. But while he was looking for them on the train... It, weird. There was just this frightful jerk and a noise, and suddenly he and Joe were already in Narnia. Crazy. I wonder what happened. Um, they finally came to the tower, and then Tyrion pulled out a chain with a bunch of keys from his cloak and rifled around on the keychain for a little while, found the right key, got them in, rummaged around the tower uh, where they found well-kept weapons and even Calamine armor disguises that the king conveniently kept just in case. He also did some other things we're going to talk about to disguise them. Um, and then they armed themselves, gathered wood for a fire, and sat down for a very bad, dull-tasting meal in the tower. The end. Happy 100th. Happy 100th. Uh, man, there's so many things in this chapter where you're like, was this necessary? Like, I don't, I don't know. As uh, is common with C.S. Lewis books, a lot of times the answer is probably not. Like we have, it's funny because we have like some major things to address in this chapter, but very little still happens. I, like even with Eustace and Jill magically appearing in Narnia and like, they just, they, even with all the exposition they give, they don't really say anything. Like, no, this is we, a classic walking chapter at its heart. <laughs> Like, right. there's plenty of exposition and, like, backstory. Like, C.S. Lewis does a weird thing in this book where he moves the stuff that's normally in the first chapter to this chapter, pretty much. Yeah. Um, which it is kind of fitting that for our 100th episode, we get a, we're in Narnia now, crazy, We get our right? intro to Narnia chapter, that's true. Yeah, uh, had, but it's, uh, it's also a walking chapter <laughs> and yeah. a backstory chapter. It's a fun one. It, it is a fun one, but just as the chapter starts. So if you remember our the ending of the last chapter, it was just he woke up and then, you know, he was just like not in a great mood. But then all of a sudden, like no explanation given here. All of a sudden, just two children are in front of him in the first paragraph. Like there's no blinding light. There's no like whoosh. It's just like two children are like, hey, what's up? And like they tap him. and. Like, they're just like, oh, hey, you're, like, tied up, and you look like you're out of sorts. Sorry, we got here as soon as we could. And he was just very, like, oh, yeah, this tracks. This makes sense. They yeah. sent me the young ones from my dream vision. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like from Tyrion's perspective, if he could choose uh, who around the table he was going to yeah. get, get caught up and get, with him. 
Give me Peter and Edmund. As we'll talk about later, I'm pretty sure Peter and Edmund are here somewhere. <laughs> we'll get to that in a little bit because their part of this story is way more. Um, Peter and Edmund's part of the story is the chapter I wish we had gotten. To be honest, I like, just that want little their mini mission sounds great. It sounds awesome, and it's so unnecessary. But they, so Eustace and Jill, they show up. They, you know, Eustace pulls out a knife. He frees Tyrion from his tree. Uh, and they're like, oh, yeah, you're the guy that, like, you know, apparated into our dinner a few, like, a week ago uh, and then vanished. And he's like, a week? That was, like, ten minutes ago. Uh, and, he's, and they're like, oh, Narnian time. Am I right? It's crazy. It's crazy because as far as Narnian time goes, that is the opposite of the way it's supposed to go. Yeah, it, like... I I don't understand because later on in like the next page, they're going to say it's been a year for us and 200 years for Narnia. If you remember between books two and four, the like appearance of uh, like the Pevensies in Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe to Prince Caspian. Again, it's roughly a year and it's like a thousand plus years. And then in this moment, it's flipped where it's 10 minutes in Narnia and a, in a week. So time is a little timey wimey in Narnia yeah, to quote little, Dr. Who. It's a little wibbly wobbly. It's fine. It's a little um, wibbly wobbly. I mean, but, at the end of the day, the time in Narnia has always been a plot device and <laughs> it's fine for it to be here, be it now. It's just that it's not. Consistent. You're not wrong. Uh, but they, they're like, Hey, let's cut you free. We're on a mission. They're on, they're doing business. And so do you know what it's time for, Chase? Our first meal of this chapter. Yeah. And man, is it a notable one? Six sandwiches. They're just like, hey, Tyrion, you hungry? You want some food that we just happened to brought with us? I mean, like, look, I'm glad that they actually prepped for their quest this time. Like, I think that is a reasonable, like, thoughtful thing. Like, oh, well, we yeah. know the things that we were missing last time we were here wandering around in the wilderness for yeah. ages. So maybe, hey, maybe say we what you want to... about say what you want about useless, but sorry, Eustace. Uh, but he is a man who who prepares. You know, he he knows what he's about. Uh, but my question this is here, the mo- did he pack essentially three meals and then Tyrion ate all of them by himself? I I'm questioning if like they brought these for like all of the the people on the like train cart plus like the people they were meeting except one because there was seven of them and now there's six sandwiches which are very British sandwiches. They're yeah. a hard boiled egg sandwich, not like a egg salad. A hard-boiled egg sandwich. Yeah, which two is... Two cheese I mean, sandwiches. Look, I like a breakfast sandwich. A hard-boiled egg is a weird way to go about that, but I, I like it. But go for it. I have nothing wrong with these sandwiches. They're just British. And like two cheese sandwiches and two with some kind of paste in them. I assume uh, a peanut butter sandwich. Maybe. That's what I'm guessing. Peanut butter is a very American thing, Chase. They don't have peanut butter elsewhere. I think this is like just a generic jam. Or like, what's the... You think this is like a pate? Maybe. Like a uh, or, or spread? What's the like Vegemite equivalent that they have in, in, oh. in Britain? I don't they know. They have something. 
But alas, uh, they, he, they're just like, here's our food. And he's like, I'll oh, take it. And he scarfs all six sandwiches down. And he's like, wow, these guys are great. They are true heroes. Uh, <laughs> and and he's, they're like, hey, you want to tell us what's going on? And he's like, yeah, we're going to this tower. We're going to the Lantern Waste, which like, if you remember from Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, as well as from the Magician's Nephew, this is where the arm of the like the the metal piece of the you know lamppost broke off and planted and grew into the lantern and that's where they entered into narnia and line the witch in the wardrobe and now apparently it's a fortress yeah yeah now the wardrobe is a fortress don't worry it's a war drobe yeah it is and hey they do get changed inside of it so that is true still a wardrobe in a sense still a wardrobe uh but they're like like he doesn't actually tell them what's happening He's just like, yeah, we're heading to this place because we need weaponry. And they're just like, cool. I'm Eustace. This is Jill. We, you know, saved Prince really in a while back. <clears throat> and he's like, oh, y'all are that Eustace and Jill. Like, uh, for who saved King Rillian? And Jill's like, oh my God, King Rillian. How's he doing? That's great. Uh, and he's dead. Uh, <laughs> he's dead. Everyone um, else, you know, also dead. <laughs> I'm his seventh descent. Uh, it's been 200 years. And her reaction, Chase, is ugh. That's My the favorite part about coming back to Nardia. But Eustace went on. Like, it's just like, oh man, Chase, you ever realize that someone was dead, but it was just like, oh no. Okay. And then you just kept going on. I, mean, I have that experience pretty regularly, to be honest. See, this is, but she's treating it as if this is like a person, like a celebrity. Who is like had no impact on your life, where it was like, oh man, like that's such a bummer that XYZ actress passed away. Oh, well, uh, I think for and, them it's like this is a friend they met at camp a year ago and haven't seen since then. We're hoping to see, but then just found that they're not going to be at camp this year. Yo, all but like real talk. The the question that I think they don't ask that is truly upsetting is where's puddle glove i mean yeah how long do uh marsh wiggles live i mean apparently not long enough because he's not here they don't even care you can say that he's a friend they met at camp but they shared life experiences with no, him he was their camp counselor that's he different. was a camp counselor who led them to jesus like yeah but alas no justice for the marsh wiggle the respectable uh but he so everyone's dead and they just move on and they're like oh yeah like the professor and aunt polly uh you know got us together and he's like who and they're like oh sorry diggory and polly they're you know they were here at the very beginning of narnia and Tyrion, you know shows his british narnianisms he's like by the lion's mane lord diggory and lady polly and, like, how do they know about them, right? Because they weren't ever kings and queens. I mean, like, they were is, friends is, with the king and queen. But, like, that feels like deep, like, mythology lore at that point. Yeah. Is, like, fledged over here telling stories? Man. Like, Fledge is still alive. <laughs> Out of everyone who lived, that stinking Fledge. Fledge is just swinging around uh, overhead right now. Be like, I wish my name was still Strawberry. I feel like if you have that much like 
autonomy as a being like you can change your name to strawberry like you'd think but but alas i guess when aslan gives you a name or you kind of got to stick with it that's true tough that's that is that is who you are from that moment he just didn't want to be called peter he just kind of had to go with it yeah so you know it's it's so good uh but they're like oh he's like oh my gosh like i know i know about them they're from like the beginning that's crazy like tell me about it and they're like well those two like they're not actually like our aunt and you know she's not our aunt but like they got all of us together they call us the friends of narnia or at least we do because it's our secret club that only we can talk about because yeah. we don't want to sound like crazy people. Yeah, friends of Narnia, Fawn for short. Fawn, no, it's back to dumbness. Oh no, I thought we were done with him. I mean, can we ever be done with dumbness? We can never get rid of him. Uh, he's always just standing there with his, you know, handkerchief of chloroform waiting behind us. Uh, but. Uh, <laughs> hey it's his fault he brought this upon himself he is not a friend of narnia but they're like hey they wanted to get all of us together to talk about narnia because we're the only ones we can talk about that with but also the professor had a feeling we were somehow wanted over here and this is where begins this storyline where it's really exciting but it does not matter because they're like hey we saw you you appeared in our on our dining table and then you vanished, and we immediately knew that something was amiss in Narnia, and we're like, how do we get back? Because generally, we get called into Narnia, and we don't know how to get called in. The only way that we know for certain to get ourselves into Narnia is, tell us, Chase. I mean, Peter and Edmund pull off the greatest heist of all time. Well, what are they looking for, Chase? What's What's... <laughs> Hey, you know those magic rings from the magician's nephew? From like 99 chapters ago, give or take. You know the magic rings that probably are from like the late 1800s, if we're being real about the timeline of these books, (laughs) that are buried in a garden in a random townhouse in London that none of these people own where a tree was once planted that got turned into a wardrobe. That tree is no longer there. You remember those rings? Well, you remember them, guys? That was several years ago. uh, Edmund and Peter. Yeah, that was several years ago in our timeline. Thousands (laughs) thousands of years ago in the Narnian timeline. It's felt felt like thousands of years for us. But, Uh, like, Chase, how how would they accomplish this, though? Wouldn't people recognize them? Well, yeah, you know how they have absolutely been to that house before and definitely would know where it is and all that jazz. No, I don't. So, yeah, they, these two teenage boys dress up as maintenance workers, classic heist. Makes sense. Sneak into the garden of this house that someone else owns. Of course. And, of course, they're dressed up as maintenance workers so that if they get caught, they can say, oh, we're just uh, digging... For Google Fiber. Um, oh, okay. Uh, so, so all these people that have been outside of our neighborhood for the past like month, putting in Google Fiber, they're just looking for magic rings. Yeah, yeah, they're treasure okay. for sure in your neighborhood. That makes me hate them a little less, but also a little bit more. You should actually go out there, like behind them while they're digging, and uh, just bring a uh, a metal detector and just start going. <laughs> 
him to have a shovel with you, and every time there's an area, be scanning, just start digging behind them. All right, guys, this is the spot. I knew it. We come on in. Like I hope right that in the well. They're like, no, sir. We we have to go. And it's like, no. Trust me. You want to dig here, but <laughs> alas, they pull off this elaborate heist. Yeah, to they go, go get the magic rings. They go which, dig in the garden and find these rings. <laughs> if I remember correctly, these rings, like they were used, like their magic combined with the like apple from Narnia to create this tree that would create the wardrobe. How are the rings still there? But, or like magical still. Yeah. Which I think we talked about this in our in our magician's nephew pods. We might not have because that was a very long time ago. So don't at me. Who knows what we talked um, about? I'm gonna say that we did. So I mean do the research, listener. I think we like theorized how we got from rings and apple seed. I apologize for random sounds in the background. My dog is currently trying to burrow under the chair I'm sitting in and is just scratching the floor. Um, but I think we theorize that the rings and like root system grew together. And that's how the wardrobe got right. its magic in the first. So the idea that these rings would still be there at all, let alone like, like genuinely 50 to 60 years later in general, and just still in this random garden that we're assuming hasn't been touched or renovated in any way in that very significant amount of time. Probably like 10 owners since since, since, since Diggory. Maybe. It's, uh, uh, who knows? Yeah, it's crazy. But, you but, know, they do it. It works. But they find the rings. By golly. And they, they send a wire. That's a sort of message that we'll explain some other time. Yes, yeah, please. They, they send us back to say, meet me at train station, BRB. Love for this child to explain sending an electronic wire message to Prince, uh, or to King Tyrion. Alas, they don't. It's okay. But they're like, hey, meet us at this train station. And so here we have to insert probably the largest spoiler warning that we've had to issue in One any of, my of the Narnian favorite spoiler warnings, but it is explicit in the text of this chapter. It is explicit in the text of this chapter. We will, we can review what they said, but the like spelling it out for you is when we will insert the spoiler warning. If you want to just skip ahead a few minutes to like avoid the very like end of this book, you can do so. Yeah. Because to be fair, we have spoiled now, this since the, we have spoiled this. this book. <laughs> yes, we have spoiled this. Want it again? This is a spoiler warning for the end of the book, starting now. So they get onto this train. It is the five of uh, you know the other ones. It's Eustace, Jill, Diggory, Polly, and Lucy meeting Edmund and Peter at this train station. As they're pulling into this train station, we read, just as we could see the others, we were looking out the window. And there came a sudden and most frightful jerk and a noise. And then we were in Narnia. And there was your majesties tied up to the tree. So in their view, they just, this was their, you know, coming into the portrait of the, of the Dawn Shredder. This was their, you know, entering in through like whatever means that was frightful and sudden that pulled them into Narnia. But in reality, 
what happens is this train went off the tracks, crushed Edmund and Peter, <laughs> and killed the rest of the people on board. Which, to be honest with you, that actually makes sense for how they ended up in Narnia because the impact with the rings just transported them through time. And then the puddle and the wood between the worlds where they would have ended up with those rings, they wouldn't have gone straight to Narnia. Uh, the puddle basically acted like an extra subway tunnel and just. Yes. Smashed like, it them just, through. It just, the momentum of them getting launched through because you know through the window that they were looking out at they launched through the rings that Edmund and Peter were holding before they got impaled by a train and then launched them through a puddle into Narnia or as Chase you know may have mentioned earlier is this an allegory for purgatory don't worry about it yeah that's the weird part like because continued spoiler warning for the end of this book, like the very last chapter is basically going to be Narnia being transformed into heaven, essentially. And all of the people, other people who are dead, who are followers of Aslan are there. And so the idea that Eustace and, and Jill are dead but are still in Narnia, but not in the final perfect Narnia, kind of implies that this mission is their purgatory. Maybe. Crazy. We don't, this is This is where C.S. Lewis starts getting a little bit into himself right now, and we're like, what is happening? Yeah. Like, well, and that's where, like, in general, allegory breaks down, because it is correct. not the same. Like, you can't, ex- like, we... You can't ever be one-to-one. Yeah, we can't expect this to be theologically perfect or accurate. And and I don't even think that's necessarily what we're asking of it. It's just taking the straight up things that were written down in this chapter and be like, huh, when I poke that, it feels pretty soft in a weird way. Are you sure this yep. is what you were doing here? Yep. Uh, and so this is this is a topic I'm sure we will address more in the final chapters of this book. But all that we need to know for now is Tyrion asks the question to Eustace, so you never use the rings? And Eustace says, nope. <laughs> and so Tyrion responds, oh, great. So the High King Peter or Edmund or Lucy or Polly or Diggory or any of them could use them. And then Eustace goes, nope, they're too old. Yeah, I like how they bring up, like, hey, remember that time that Aslan told you that you would not be going back to Narnia in this lifetime? Well, uh, yeah, that. So, pothole, but also not, as we'll explain later. And Uh, so, as a Tyrion's like, okay, so what was the point of this whole story that about the rings? Because they're not going to use them. It's like, nothing. Just wanted to let you know how how we're here. Yeah, just to remind you those other books exist. The answer is maybe Aslan, IDK. Probably. Sure, that's not your story though, Tyrion. Uh, yeah, he and was. and then they're like, "Oh man, it's really hot. Are we almost there?" Uh, <laughs> and Tyrion's like, "Yeah, look, there it is—the Lantern Fortress waste." Uh, then Tyrion pulls out the largest ring of keys anyone has ever seen that didn't get taken from him for some reason. He just conveniently had a key necklace. 
<laughs> with a whole janitor's ring on his yeah. on his person, just sitting there going, "Oh no, not that one!" Just over and over, clink, 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 clink. Well, clink. it's okay because the key for this one is a little rougher than the others, so he he can find it easily. I assume that any other towers have the same key. Yeah, that's a mat. Like, get a master key, man. Like, but alas, he finally. After a giant paragraph of him rummaging, gets into the doors, and they're like, well, here it is. Sorry, it's not that great. And they're really polite, and they don't tell him how not great it is. Uh, and they're like, hey, we should go get firewood, huh? And if you're enraptured by this conversation now, you shouldn't be. Yeah. Because that is we're how just going. At the end. <laughs> and they're like, all right, cool. So, like, maybe we should, like, get some, like, weaponry. And they pull out a male shirt and, like, they're like, wow, that's funny looking male. And and at this point, this is not a spoiler warning, but more of a racism warning. Uh, this is a trigger warning, you could say. It's a trigger warning. Uh, because they're like, hey, this male is actually from Callerman. Because me and my friends never knew if we were going to have to you know, sneak into the Tisrock's land, may he live forever, uh, and uh, you know, dress up like them. And wouldn't you know it, Chase, in this stone bottle, there's a juice that when we have rubbed it on our hands and face, quote, quote, yes, Narnia, not words. Kel. Not yes, Kel's Ms. words, not, not Chase's Kel's words. Will make us brown as calories. Chase, Oof. now, I am not, not cool. a... I, I'm just making sure we're on the same page here. This is calorie face. Am I this correct? Yeah, yeah, for pretty pretty directly. In fact, later on, he says that the only way to become a white Narnian again is to, uh, is to use oil and yeah. ashes. Not even water will wash off this, oh. the the calamine brownness. Um, oh, this is this is not this is not my favorite. This it's is not our favorite. favorite. And, Brown face and is also bad. Just we just, just as a general statement. <laughs> If we as a non sequitur, as we talk about yeah. this, but brown face is bad, black face is bad. You shouldn't do any of that. If we've, you know, we've had to make a few of these statements throughout the series that we don't agree with racism, we don't agree with kidnapping children. We just want to make sure that everyone is aware of where our stances are on on topics such as this. This was written in the 1950s. And, and it for was some also reason, so bad, but people did acknowledge it. And for that. some reason, CSS was like, yes, this is what we need to include in here. Like, Again, you know, not our favorite. Like, take a page from, you know, your, your buddy JRR with, you know, Frodo and Sam sneaking into Mordor. They don't put on orc face, they just put on a bunch of armor. Like, oh, well, they roll really good stealth checks, so no <laughs> one sees them. Chase, Chase is a you know he's taking time off as a DM and the side to uh, you know practice his D and D skills, so he's trying to make sure his lingo is good. Yeah, that was um, all DC eighteen rolls, and they they had a really good modifier. Yeah, they uh, the privilege check on the roll for um, for Eustace, Jill, and Tyrion was not high. It was their their racism role was real low, unfortunately. Would that be a nature check? I think that'd be a nature I, a nature ability. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie to you. You're you're stretching the extent of my knowledge of D D. 
Uh, I'm having a great time. Making very niche <laughs> references to uh, character sheets. But yeah, alas. Bar- barbarians, am I right? Uh, sorcerers. Wow, Cal. Wow. No. It's but, not. Uh, they, they're like, move on from this because obviously this is a topic shouldn't have happened. This is not something to condone here. Yeah. And I'll say just to acknowledge the other side of this, this is not us trying to cancel C.S. Lewis or say we dislike him or dislike these books either. This is us acknowledging the fullness of what we have as we go chapter by chapter and deep dive into these books. Part of that is acknowledging, look, we don't agree with this move by the author. We think this is not a good storytelling choice, nor is it a good moral thing to put in the hands of the characters and we're not fans it's that's and that can be true and us also still enjoy this author and these books and not be a thing where we're like raging in the streets over it we're just taking it the good and the bad and talking about all of it indeed and so as we move forward uh jill is thrilled about her disguises she loves to play dress up and you know this is great uh they you know put on the fullness of their disguises and you know that's all we need to say about that they get some little calamine helmets which have those little spiky tips on the top uh and you know there's pictures on the next chapters of them in silhouettes uh which is real fun they've all got little you know spiky helmets um so it's like that's great cool uh and they like, you know, grab their weaponry. And again, CS has been doing such a good job of ending his chapters. And he just fumbles the bag hard on this one. Yeah, it's where it's like exciting. Where they're like, hey, let's get our weaponry. Does anyone have any skill with the bow? Uh, nothing worth talking of. You know, Eustace is not that bad. Oh, don't listen to her. We've both been training, but neither of us are actually that good. So why have this conversation? Tyrion is like, all right, well, I guess both to of you can it, take to it. To let us know that they're a year off from Narnia, they've been training and fighting, just in case. But, like, but you know, they're still not that good. Uh, and so they're like, we're, we're no High King Peter. Uh, you know, he would have been really, really helpful. They're really no Susan, but Susan. But she, R.I.P. Uh, I guess not really. She wasn't on the train. She wasn't on the she train. Wa- she wasn't. Uh, can you imagine, man, can you imagine how Susan feels right now? Like, I mean, does she feel justified? Lewis, she feels nothing. She feels nothing except for a sense of fashion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> She's in America. She has no worries. Ugh. She's over uh, here with Tom Buchanan, just oh my gosh, merrily as they drive into the distance. Did did she become Daisy? <laughs> God, I hope not. She's, Daisy's got to be one of the worst characters in literary. In like literature, and like she's just terrible. And and they sailed off uh, carelessly into the distance, as all mm. rich people do. As all rich people do, but that's not even how. If you were thinking, man, this is a weird discussion about bows and arrows. That's a weird way to end the chapter. Don't worry, it's even worse because they're like, hey, dinner was a dull meal, and they had you know a bad biscuit and boiling water with salt with them, you know, kind of porridge. And then they talk about the things they wish they had, like a tea or cocoa or a 
firkin of good wine. And I don't know what a firkin is, but I read that and I was like, you need to watch your language, C.S. Lewis. Uh, it feels like, like, a, like one of those old wine skins has got like fur on the outside to like insulate. I don't know. Well, I have no firkin idea. Uh, but they, they, that is the, that's the end of the chapter. Chase, CS Lewis, what are we doing? Like, you're doing so well. You, you, you've made it, you've made strides, and then you're like, mm, I still don't need an editor. You don't end, uh, you don't end your conversations. Man, I wish I had some wine, and then just walk away. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, but alas, Chase, we've made it to the end of this chapter, and now we get to do some fun stuff. This is, uh, yeah. You know, obviously, episode 100, and so Chase and I wanted to do a top five moments of Narnia so far, uh, and I'm sure we probably have some crossover. We have not told each other what our top fives are, yeah. uh, and so if we have crossover, you know, we get to there. Uh, but Chase, would you like to start us off with number five? Sure, and so the way we're going to do this, we'll both start from our fives and work our way up, and I'll just say, if we have the same one... Let's wait to talk about why we chose that one until the person with it higher up on their list gets there so we can talk about it at the same time. Sounds great. Uh, for number five, I this is the only one that I have a specific line from one of the books, but it mm. is one of my favorite lines from one of these books. So I just, uh, yeah. There was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost <laughs> deserved it. What a great line. Man, I'm so glad you included that one. That's funny. I like that it's, a lot. I mean, just to know that that's where we start with Eustace and that <laughs> C.S. Lewis is so mean to him from the beginning. Yeah. And he becomes like one of the main characters of half of yeah. the series. Like he, he is, is the main a hero the main protagonist. without question. Yeah, he's the main protagonist. For more books than any of the Pevensey children are. Yeah, you could say Eustace is as essential to these stories as like Lucy. As Lucy or Edmund. Yeah. Like they are those three are the only ones that are in three books as the main protagonist. Yeah. Like that's wild stuff to me. Uh, but that's that's a good one. I like it. I wanna do, if it's okay with you, let's do, you know, go up and then before we do our ones. Let's do some honorable mention ones. We don't even have to discuss like the, just like, oh, these are also like fun things. And like, if you just think about them. Yeah, sure. But for me, fine. for me, number five was uh, the creation of Narnia, specifically the planting of the lamppost, um, which okay. we mentioned earlier. I don't know if you I, have I that one. I also have creation of Narnia, but not that specific part. So go Great. ahead. So we'll, go ahead I'll, talk, the, uh, I'll talk uh, the planting of the lamppost. I just... Yeah. It's so fun when you think through what the first book they ever made was of Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, that you see this iconic lamppost. And it's like, why is this here? And then in the second to last book that he writes, he goes, you know, this is the creation of the world of Narnia. Everything is fruitful and growing. This piece of a, like, earth-based lamppost, in, in a, like, in London, it's broken off and planted in the ground. And becomes this iconic piece of Narnian lore. Like the yeah. thing that if you, you know, it's the tattoo that you're going to see on people. It's, you know, the, it's a, 
common imagery and it's like what a cool the way logo of this podcast yeah like what a cool way to include such really sweet lore it's really unique it's really original i just thought it was really neat yeah and the way that it happens is so like like it's the best version of the magic of narnia and c.s lewis yeah this world is literally growing like everything is so magically fertile that just dropping a piece of metal on the ground sprouts it into a metal tree essentially and like that yeah. is something that happens multiple times in that like section of that book but it's uh yeah that is a cool cool moment totally all right hit us with my, your number 4 chase yeah my number 4 is uh actually probably one that most people wouldn't think of, but it's one of the moments that makes me like this particular book in the series a lot. It's a Shasta in, in a, in horse and his boy Shasta at the tombs when Aslan is a cat and Mm. Shasta it's this moment in the books where they are leaving Tashban. They're gotten to the other side. The entire group has been separated and Shasta is like alone and scared in this place of like darkness and death over by these tombs of the Kings. And he is hiding, waiting for his friends to come find him. And he's hearing noises and he thinks there's lions out there that might come and hurt him. And he, there's this cat in the, uh, in among the tombs that's like just a like wild like out in the world tabby cat and shasta could swear for a second that the shadow of it looks like it was as big as a horse and and all the sounds of the like like bad monsters out in the darkness go away once he sees the shadow and then it steps into the light and it's this little cat and later on in the book it's confirmed like, yeah, that was Aslan. And it's just this sweet moment of Aslan protecting and comforting Shasta in this dark moment as a little house cat. Yeah, man, what a, what a sweet moment. Cause that is, I think you and I have kind of like discussed probably the more underrated of the books in this series. And probably one of the ones that like people know the least about. Yeah, especially um, because you got to get past some of the racism that we talked about in this in this chapter. Correct, and it is not you know it it has no member of the Pevensey family. Not um, true. It has the whole Pevensey tribe. Just they're not the protagonists. Through. Yeah, yeah, they're not. They're, they're there for a sec. But no, what a I, I love that moment. That's really sweet. Um, so my number four um, was. For me, it's it's kind of a combo. I cheated on a couple of these, uh, you know, as I'm bound to do. Sure. But for me, That's I'm cool. I'm classifying this as like the faith of Lucy, uh, because or, or the wonder maybe of Lucy. I don't, you know, however you want to take this. Um, the first time that she walks into Narnia and you see her just blown away by the beauty of Narnia. Um, the first time that she hears Aslan's name and you get her perspective and Peter's and Susan's where they're like, but this is a warm sensation and you felt brave and you felt powerful. But I think the moment for me that I almost enjoy the most about Lucy and that really displays her character is in 
Prince Caspian when constantly she is the one who can see Aslan and is leading everyone toward him when no one else can. When everyone's like, hey, there's nothing there. You may have just seen a normal line. You may be just hallucinating. We'd have loved to see Aslan, but he's not here. And she's like, no, you've abandoned me before. I'm correct. We're going this way. And they're like, all right, like, let's do this. Yeah. No, I I don't have any moments from Prince Caspian on my list, but if I were to choose one, it would have been her being able to see him in the woods, that, yeah. that whole situation. I think that's also the chapter where we get Bacchus for the first time, funny enough. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, oh. All right, so my number three, which I know it's crazy that this is not higher up on my list, but at least it's on my list, is Aslan's death and resurrection. Uh, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I put that in my honorable mention because it felt like a cop-out. Yeah. Well, I was going back and looking through, and part of it is because it is one chapter in that book is the whole, like, arc of, like, not the actual, like, well, I think it is the murder. It's, uh, the chapter is called Deep Magic from Before Time. And just the whole, from the perspective of Lucy and Susan, their fear, their questioning, like they're observing this whole thing. So it's all from their like point of view of watching this terrible thing happen to their friend, to this this being that they respect and and like are expecting to save them, really. And right. They watch him die, they mourn over him, and then there's just this moment where like the table cracks in half and he's gone and they turn around because they hear his voice behind them and celebrate and joy. It's like the whole thing happening and like this way. And it's one of the better written chapters of the line, the witch in the wardrobe in general, not surprisingly, it's not a walking chapter for one thing, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, it, it's a little bit of a cop out, but also I feel like it's it's worth being on. It's a deserved cop out. I I I debated putting it because of just its impact on everything and the importance of it to Narnia as a whole. But I was like, I just I don't know. It like yeah. for me, it was just like I wish they had done more with it. But no, there was the, a second where I wasn't sure I was going to put it on my list, but I think it's good that one of us has it on there. I agree. It's the premise of these books in the first place. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Uh, my number three is the the last one that's kind of a cheat, but it's one specific moment. But that moment is built off of everything else, where it's the moment itself is Reef Achieve going into Aslan's country. But okay. that one is built off of just the character of Reef Achieve. And you see his nobility, his honor, the respect he carries, the way that he treats his friends his whole relationship with Eustace in that book. And I'll tell you, I didn't want to include anything from Don Shredder, but this moment is really good. And like, but the way, the way that his relationship with Eustace evolves uh, and even in Prince Caspian, one of my favorite moments is when he gets his tail cut off and all of his like mice knights or whatever you want to call them 
the mice of the round table. Um, they all are like before Aslan and about to cut off their own tails because they're like, no, we like anything that happens to the high mouse, we, you know, we'll take that upon ourselves. And Aslan's is like, oh my gosh, my heart, you're adorable. All of you keep your tails. And like, here you go, Reaper Sheep, here's yours. But that builds to the sweetness of him going into Aslan's country. And I don't have the exact quote, but he says something along the lines of like, if I have to swim and, you know, it, like I will like take a rowboat. If it crashes, I'll swim. If I, if I can't move any further, I will like, you know, flop my way over to Aslan's country. And if I fall off the edge of the world before I get there, so be it, but I'm making it. And like this whole book, he's like, I, want to be in Aslan's country so desperately and it's built off of this nobility and honor that he carries himself with and he's one like mine are kind of built on like my top five like my top four are all built really in terms of the characters that I enjoy the most and they're kind of defining moments um I have some like my honorable mentions were like some of the funnier moments that like uh happen um but I really enjoyed Reaper Chief as a character. Yeah. No, and I mean that's yeah, you definitely smuggled his entire all of Reaper Chief <laughs> oh. from all the books into I cheated. Book. Yeah, Listen. I'll take it. I think it's good. The rules are made up, Chase. And you know what? It's fitting because Reaper Chief is part of my next one, although he is not the point of my next one. So you uh good, good. you you got that side of it and i'll i'll yeah. throw in this side of it uh my number two which it again it's funny because don treader is by far not the best book in this series but no. this pick is a similar one from all of don treader it's just eustace's whole transition within that book specifically his chapter as a dragon um, okay. Where my my number guy. two is also used to, I have a feeling. No, because I know your number one now is the creation of Narnia, but our number twos are the same because my number two is also used to being changed to a human. Nice. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's so good. His, like, he and Edmund have a similar arc within the story. And Edmund is also one of my favorite characters. He just doesn't get a lot of story time in the actual yeah. breadth of these books. Um, but yeah, Eustace going from whiny, spoiled brat who almost deserves how bad his name is to being the hero of these books. And that yeah. happens through him having to come to terms with his pride and his fears and just his desire to be uh be treated a certain way like he starts out as this really obnoxious like like little british boy asking where the embassy is and demanding his rights and uh through going through a pretty traumatic experience of being a cannibal and then uh turning into a dragon and then having his skin ripped off is uh yeah becomes a better person for it also because of his friendship with Reepicheep who through all of that befriends him and shows him kindness even though he doesn't always deserve kindness yeah no i'm with you and my my the only aspects i would add on because it's also my number two is specifically when he is changed from a dragon to a human. And obviously we talked about some of the weird ways that this is done, 
but the overall theme of it being that like he had to let Aslan rip the scales from his body to be like, hey, you can't do this. You know, Aslan has to be the one that removes the scales from you to remove the, you know, sin nature from us uh, and, and taking that up, like, you know, to himself. And obviously, again, we've talked about how, you know, allegory doesn't hold up one to one. But what a sweet image it is. It's like, hey, we have to let Jesus do these things for us. So I really appreciated that. Uh, knowing that I know what your number one is, let me do, I want to do a couple honorable mentions because my honorable mentions, other than the death and resurrection of Aslan, uh, I just try to think of like the moments that we laugh the most or that were like funniest for us. Um, and I, I think it was like several of them were in the first book uh, where yeah. it was like the creatures trying to plant oh, Uncle Andrew. Like the creatures trying to plant Uncle Andrew as a tree. Uh, <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> and then when Aslan savagely roasts the jackdaw and he says, you have not made the first joke. You've only been the first joke. <laughs> and, uh, like just, it's like, Oh my God, Aslan, that was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Man, if only so you had that sense of humor uh, for, for some other moments. <laughs> right. Uh, the, I have it's I have some that are related to my number one, which I am shocked that you don't have this as your number one. Ooh, uh, but I made a mistake. I, I think you did, but we'll talk about it. The fact that it's not even in your top five is crazy to me. Uh, but do you have any honorable mentions before you dive into your number one? Um, or just or just funny moments. I think the Bacchus stuff we cracked up about. Yeah, the Bacchus uh, stuff and, was wild, but absolutely a fun important part i think uh because it's not my it's not part of my number one also in magician's nephew uh this stuff with wood between the worlds is yeah super that cool. i would put up there i would say this stuff with the garden where the tree the apple tree and narnia yeah. is would be up there i would say yeah. the uh the episode in Charn is really interesting and intriguing to see like the world building side of that. Um, yeah. Like uh, as, as we get to the end of this, the magician's nephew is still my favorite book. I think there's probably some scenes from a silver chair that are probably up there as well. Um, but yeah. What, what are you, what you got? Um, that's, those are, those are a lot of the things that I think, for me, I I wanted to mention, you know, unfortunately, it was weird making my list and being like, man, I have like several things from Don Treader, and I I think that's easily my least favorite of the book so far between that and Horse and His Boy. Uh, yeah, and well, it's because, because Don Treader is a bunch so, of isolated moments that are kind right, of it's, cool, it's the but Odyssey. they're not weaved together very well. Like right. is an adventure of the day kind of book, right? It's as much of a flowing, and, but it's like it has some really cool moments. Um, Prince Caspian kind of could just like fast forward through, you know, in terms of big moments. Um, I I think there's a lot of fun things, and I like remembering a lot of the like funnier and funny moments from Aslan and from Narnia and from the you know children is really fun. I think Edmund is a roast master. Uh, we talked about how Edmund is, you know, obviously grown on us as one of our favorite characters. Um, but I, yeah, no, I just, it was fun doing this. So I'd, I'd love to hear from you about your number one. 
Yeah. My number one is the creation of Narnia itself, specifically how Aslan creates Narnia by singing and all the stuff that comes in. Like it's so cinematic, like the way that, I mean, they're essentially in darkness and just start to hear this voice over the horizon as the sun starts to rise and then yeah. other voices pop in as stars appear and just all of creation is singing alongside Aslan, who is the singer and is like breathing this world into existence and creatures are emerging from the earth. And like we talked about, like stuff is being planted and growing. Like it's, it's a whole, like just, yeah, it's the most imaginative part of these books as far as i'm concerned yeah and it's yeah so well written and also manages to weave in all the character moments with the characters in that book but in a way that's not like doesn't stop the momentum of that scene like it's just yeah yeah it's it's a really cool like it's why i think of magician's nephew and even without all the other stuff mentioned and like, oh yeah, well that's the one where that happens. Like, yeah, it's magician's nephew is by far, and I don't even think it's like, like, you know, a hot take to say this. Like, it's by far his most creative book, his most unique book, his most original work. Is like because he builds on allegory so much. Like, obviously, Lion the King or the Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe is going to be his most famous and well known because it's Jesus. Like. Yeah because it's Jesus, the story beats are not necessarily as like, wow, this is so you, this is so original. The creation I think is the like pinnacle of his creativity. And obviously you can say, Oh, well that's based off of Genesis. I'm like, kind of, but also no, because it's so different yeah. and because it is, it's so unique and like just very him. Uh, and so I just, I think it's super cool. Um, but yeah, so my, my number one, and again, I'm stunned, uh, that you don't have this, at least in your top five is puddle Glum's speech to the green lady in the, in the cavern. I, I, I I was like, man, I thought you and I were going to be like locked in on this one, but, uh, I mean, your top five is awesome, but I was like, I mean, that deserves to be in there for sure. Tell me. Uh, so. I, I just love this because one, I think we both recognize that Puddle Glum may be like up there with Edmund and Reaper Chief as at least those are like my top tier characters. Yeah. And well, like, I mean, Puddle Glum, like everyone as they have gotten older has realized that Squidward is the best character in SpongeBob. Puddle Glum is easy to get to the end of that book and realize like, oh yeah, not only is he not even that cynical. He's just right, <laughs> but also right. He's, he's hilarious. Uh, yeah, he's such and a good, clean character arc. Through yeah, the- he gets he gets hammered so that the children don't have to, and he yeah. becomes a respectable. Uh, I mean, he's <laughs> the best. Uh, but he, when he's in, the, when they're in the caves, and the green lady is trying to gaslight them into believing that Narnia doesn't exist. The only world that they, that there is is the underworld. Uh, that everything they believe is false, and they're like, "Man, is it is that true?" And like, you know, we don't know what to believe anymore. And he goes on and tells her, 
Like, I, I only have one quote here, but before this, he's like, hey, maybe you're right. Maybe we are just children playing a game. Maybe we've dreamt all this up. But if that's true, then the things that we've dreamt, the things that, you know, we've imagined are better than everything here. And I would choose to believe that first. And the quote that he, that I have is like, I'm on Aslan's side, even if there isn't any Aslan to lead. I'm going to live like a Narnian as I can, or live as like a Narnia as I can, even if there isn't any Narnia. Uh, and, you know, it's real Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego vibes. It's real like, hey, we believe that God's going to save us. And even if he doesn't, I'm still not bound down to you. Like, I'm still, like, it's still good. And it's just like such a powerful moment. And it, this is the moment. And after that, he's like, all right, children, we're leaving. You know, real like dad at a, you know, confrontation mode where he's like, pack up our things. We're out of here. Puddle and like, so dad. Puddle Glove is very dad. Uh, and so, like, I just, I love this moment. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it like gets to the heart of Narnia in a lot of ways where it's like, yeah, we like Narnia is the ideal Aslan is the ideal and anything else doesn't hold up to it. And like, it's, it's not, it's below par, you know? And it is, it's probably one of the clearest examples in the Narnia series of an act of faith being the driving force in a conflict rather than just either true deus ex machina or like having to fight. Like it yeah. is, yeah, he is, that is Puddle Glum making the point of, of hope in darkness. Yep. So that was, uh, those are our top five, man. It was, it was fun kind of looking back at like the series as a whole so far and being like, man, there's a lot that we've talked about. And like a lot has gone down and like, there are moments that like, as I was just even like looking at me like, oh, I totally forgot about that. And like, so super fun. Uh, I'm excited because through the rest of this book, there are some major moments to come. Yeah. And so I'm excited to like get through those, but Chase, okay. do you have anything else to add before we, before we head out? I don't think so. So I can uh, well, tell our friends here how, how they can find us and follow us. Uh, yeah. So you can find us wherever you get podcasts, Apple podcasts, Spotify, all, all the places. Just go. F- if you're listening to this right now, continue to find us there. And while you're there, yeah. leave us a five-star rating and review um, that can help us uh, connect with other people and feel free to share this with friends. You can also follow us on Instagram at Chronicles of Podcast, where you can uh, see when we post new episodes and leave comments for us. Like what tell you us, tell us your top five. Yeah. Let us know or, your top five. Tell us what you think we should have had on our list if there's anything yeah. we Or tell us, like, leave us a review. Tell us your favorite moments from the podcast. It doesn't even have to be from the, like, from the books. It could just yeah. be, you know, Chase and I. Yeah. Tell us why we're so great. I like hearing that, personally. Um, but, Chase, uh, I've got a dull meal to go attend, and it could be better. Yeah, I do. But wish I felt like this was the wine. best way to. I've uh, a firkin, a firkin wine. <laughs> wish I had a firkin wine, bro. <laughs> and on that, so we end this podcast. What better way to go out on number one hundred yep. with a whimper?
a frickin' whimper. Hey, who needs coherency for number 100, man? No, no. It's, uh... Chase, we've been, I will say, we've been waiting for, I feel like, this chapter in particular. Is not only do we get a first glimpse at the death of all the Pevensies, but we get blackface. Yeah. No, we get... I forgot about the blackface. Walking chapter combined with <laughs> the foreshadowing of the death of all the Pevensies, pretty yep. directly stated, and blackface. It's I mean, uh, that's, it's a trifecta. Yeah. It is. It's a wild. It's a wild one. 